Section 14 of The Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 3, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 14. Book 13. The Natural History of Exotic Trees and an Account of Ungents. Chapter 1. Ungents. At what period they were first introduced. Thus far, we have been speaking of the trees which are valuable for the odours they produce, and each of which is a subject for our wonder in itself. Luxury, however, has fought fit to mingle all of these, and to make a single odour of the whole. Hence it is that ungents have been invented. Who was the first to make ungents is a fact not recorded. In the times of the Trojan War they did not exist, nor did they use incense when sacrificing to the gods. Indeed, people knew of no other smell, or rather stench, I may say, than that of the cedar and the citrus, shrubs of their own growth, as it arose in volumes of smoke from the sacrifices. Still, however, even then, the extract of roses was known, for we find it mentioned as conferring additional value on olive oil. We ought by good right to ascribe the first use of unguents to the Persians, for they quite soak themselves in it, and so, by an adventitious recommendation, counteract the bad odours which are produced by dirt. The first instances of the use of unguents that I have been able to meet with is that of the chest of perfumes, which fell into the house of Alexander, with the rest of the property of King Darius, at the taking of his camp. Since these times, this luxury has been adopted by our own countrymen as well, among the most prized and, indeed, the most elegant of all the enjoyments of life, and has begun even to be admitted in the list of honours paid to the dead, for which reason we shall have to enlarge further on that subject. Those perfumes which are not the produce of shrubs will only be mentioned for the present by name. The nature of them will, however, be stated in their appropriate places. Chapter 2. The Various Kinds of Ungents. Twelve Principal Compositions. The names of ungents are due, some of them, to the original place of their composition, others again to the extracts which form their bases, others to the trees from which they are derived, and others to the peculiar circumstance under which they were first made. And it is as well, first of all, to know that in this respect the fashion has often changed, and that the high repute of peculiar kinds has been but transitory. In ancient times, the perfumes the most esteemed of all were those of the island of Delos, and at a later period those of Mendes. This degree of esteem is founded not only on the mode of mixing them, and the relative proportions, but according to the degree of favour or disfavour in which the various places which produce the ingredients are held, and the comparative excellence or degeneracy of the ingredients themselves. The perfume of iris from Corinth was long held in the highest esteem till that of Cyzicus came into fashion. It was the same too with the perfume of roses from Phacelis the repute of which was afterwards eclipsed by those of Neapolis, Capua, and Praeneste, oil of saffron, from Soli in Sicilia, 
was for a long time held in repute beyond any other, and then that from Rhodes, after which perfume of Onanthe from Cyprus came into fashion, and then that of Egypt was preferred. At a later period that of Adramitium came into vogue, and then was supplanted by Ungent of Marjorum from Kos, which in its turn was superseded by Quince Blossom Ungent from the same place. As to perfume of Cyprus, that from the island of Cyprus was at first preferred, and then that of Egypt, when all on a sudden the ungents of Mendes and Mepotium rose into esteem. In later times Phoenicia eclipsed Egypt in the manufacture of these last two, but left to that country the repute of producing the best ungent of Cyprus. Athens has perseveringly maintained the repute of her Panathenaicon. There was formerly a famous ungent known as Pardalium, and made at Tarsus. At the present day its very composition and the mode of mixing it are quite unknown there. They have left off, too, making ungent of Narcissus from the flowers of that plant. There are two elements which enter into the composition of ungents, the juices and the solid parts. The former generally consists of various kinds of oils, the latter of odoriferous substances. These last are known as hedismata, while the oils are called stymata. There is a third element, which occupies a place between the two, but has been much neglected, the colouring matter, namely. To produce a colour, however, cinnabar and alkanet are often employed. If salt is sprinkled in the oil, it will aid it in retaining its properties, but if alkanet has been employed, salt is never used. Resin and gum are added to fix the odour in the solid perfumes. Indeed, it is apt to die away and disappear with the greatest rapidity if these substances are not employed. The ungent which is the most readily prepared of all, and indeed in all probability the very first that was ever made, is that composed of byron and oil of balanus, substances of which we have made mention already. In later times, the Mendesian ungent was invented. A more complicated mixture as resin and myrrh were added to oil of balanus. And at the present day, they even add mapotian as well, an Egyptian oil extracted from bitter almonds, to which have been added aphasium, cardamom, sweet rush, honey, wine, myrrh, seed of balsamum, galbanum, and resin of terebinth as so many ingredients. Among the most common ungents at the present day, and for that reason supposed to be the most ancient, was that composed of oil of myrtle, calamus, cypress, cypress, mastiche, and pomegranate rind. I am of opinion, however, that the ungents which have been the most universally adopted are those which are compounded of the rose, a flower that grows everywhere, and hence for a long time the composition of oil of roses was of the most simple nature, though more recently there have been added omphacium, rose blossoms, cinnabar, calamus, honey, sweet rush, flour of salt or else olkinet, and wine. The same is the case too with oil of saffron, to which have been lately added cinnabar, alkinet, and wine, and with oil of sampsusium, to which omphacium and calamus have been compounded. The best comes from Cyprus and Mytilene where Sampsusium abounds in large quantities. The commoner kinds of oil, too, 
are mixed with those of myrrh and laurel to which are added sampsusium lilies fenugreek myrrh cassia nard sweet rush and cinnamon there is an oil too made of the common quince and the sparrow quince called melanum as we shall have occasion to mention hereafter it is used as an ingredient in unguents mixed with omphacium oil of cyprus oil of sesamum balsamum sweet rush cassia and abritonum Susinum is the most fluid of them all it is made of lilies oil of balanus calamus honey cinnamon saffron and myrrh while the unguent of cyprus is compounded of cypress omphacium and cardamom calamus aspalophus and abritonum there are some persons who when making unguent of cyprus employ myrrh also and panax the best is that made at sidon and the next best that of egypt care must be taken not to add oil of sesamum it will keep as long as four years and its odour is strengthened by the addition of cinnamon telanum is made of fresh olive oil cyperus calamus melilote fenugreek honey marum and sweet majorum this last was the perfume most in vogue in the time of the comic poet menander a considerable time after that known as megalium took its place being so called as holding the very highest rank it was composed of oil of balanus balsamum calamus sweet rush xylobalsamum cassia and resin one peculiar property of this unguent is that it requires to be constantly stirred while boiling until it has lost all smell when it becomes cold it recovers its odour there are some single essences also which individually afford unguents of very high character the first rank is due to malobathrum and the next to the iris of illyricum and the sweet majorum of cyzicus both of them herbs there are perfumers who sometimes add some few other ingredients to these those who use the most employ for the purpose honey flour of salt omphacium leaves of agnus and panax all of them foreign ingredients the price of unguent of cinnamon is quite enormous to cinnamon there is added oil of balanus xylobalsamum calamus sweet rush seeds of balsamum myrrh and perfumed honey it is the thickest of consistency of all the unguents the price at which it sells ranges from thirty-five to three hundred denarii per pound unguent of nard or foliatum is composed of omphacium or else oil of balanus sweet rush costus nard amomum myrrh and balsamum while speaking on this subject it will be as well to bear in mind that there are nine different kinds of plants of a similar kind of which we have already made mention as being employed for the purpose of imitating indian nard so abundant are the materials that are afforded for adulteration all these perfumes are rendered still more pungent by the addition of costus and amomum which have a particularly powerful effect on the olfactory organs while myrrh gives them greater consistency and additional sweetness and saffron makes them better adapted for medicinal purposes they are most pungent however when mixed with amomum alone which will often produce headache even there are some persons who content themselves with sprinkling the more precious ingredients upon the others after boiling them down for the purpose of economy 
but the strength of the unguent is not so great as when the ingredients have been boiled together. Myrrh used by itself, and without the mixture of oil, forms an unguent, but it is stacti only that must be used, for otherwise it will be productive of too great bitterness. Unguent of cypress turns other unguents green, while lily unguent makes them more unctuous. The unguent of mendes turns them black, rose unguent makes them white, and that of myrrh of a pallid hue. Such are the particulars of the ancient inventions, and the various falsifications of the shops in later times. We will now pass on to make mention of what is the very height of refinement in these articles of luxury. Indeed, I may say, the beau ideal of them all. This is what is called the regal unguent, from the fact that it is composed in these proportions for the kings of the Parthians. It consists of myrobalanus, costus, amamum, cinnamon, cumicum, cardamom, spicinard, marum, myrrh, cassia, storax, ladanum, opabalsamum, styrian calamus, and styrian sweetrush, onanthi, marlobarfrum, sericetum, cypress, aspralathus, panax, saffron, cypyrus, sweet marjoram, lotus, honey, and wine. Not one of the ingredients in this compound is produced either in Italy, that conqueror of the world, or indeed in all Europe, with the exception of the iris, which grows in Illyricum, and the nard, which is to be found in Gaul. As to the wine, the rose, the leaves of myrtle and the olive oil, they are possessed by pretty nearly all countries in common. Chapter 3. Diapasma Magma the mode of testing unguents. Those unguents which are known by the name of diapasma are composed of dried perfumes. The lees of unguents are known by the name of magma. In all these preparations, the most powerful perfume is the one that is added the last of all. Unguents keep best in boxes of alabaster, and perfumes when mixed with oil which conduces all the more to their durability the thicker it is, such as the oil of almonds, for instance. Unguents, too, improve with age, but the sun is apt to spoil them, for which reason they are usually stowed away in a shady place in vessels of lead. When their goodness is being tested, they are placed on the back of the hand, lest the heat of the palm, which is more fleshy, should have a bad effect on them. Chapter 4 the excesses to which luxury has run in unguents. These perfumes form the objects of a luxury which may be looked upon as being the most superfluous of any, for pearls and jewels, after all, do pass to a man's representative, and garments have some durability, but unguents lose their odour in an instant, and die away the very hour they are used. The very highest recommendation of them is, that when a female passes by, the odour which proceeds from her may possibly attract the attention of those even who till then are intent upon something else. In price they exceed so large a sum even as four hundred denarii per pound. So vast is the amount that is paid for a luxury made not for our own enjoyment, but for that of others. For the person who carries the perfume about him 
is not the one, after all, that smells it. And yet, even here, there are some points of difference that deserve to be remarked. We read in the works of Cicero that those unguents which smell of the earth are preferable to those which smell of saffron, being a proof that even in a matter which most strikingly bespeaks our state of extreme corruptness, it is thought as well to temper the vice by a little show of austerity. There are some persons, too, who look more particularly for consistency in their unguents, to which they accordingly give the name of spism, thus showing that they love not only to be sprinkled, but even to be plastered over with unguents. We have known the very soles, even of the feet, to be sprinkled with perfumes, a refinement which was taught, it is said, by M. Otho to the Emperor Nero. How, I should like to know, could a perfume be at all perceptible, or indeed productive of any kind of pleasure when placed on that part of the body? We have heard also of a private person giving orders for the walls of the bathroom to be sprinkled with unguents, while the Emperor Caius had the same thing done to his sitting-bath. That this, too, might not be looked upon as the peculiar privilege of a prince, it was afterwards done by one of the slaves that belonged to Nero. But the most wonderful thing of all is that this kind of luxurious gratification should have made its way into the camp, even. At all events, the eagles and the standards, dusty as they are, and bristling with their sharpened points, are anointed on festive days. I only wish it could, by any possibility, be stated who it was that first taught us this practice. It was, no doubt, under the corrupting influence of such temptations as these, that our eagles achieved the conquest of the world. Thus do we seek to obtain their patronage and sanction for our vices, and make them our precedent for using unguents even beneath the cask. Chapter 5. When Unguents Were First Used by the Romans I cannot exactly say at what period the use of unguents first found its way to Rome. It is a well-known fact that when King Antiochus and Asia were subdued, an edict was published in the year of the city 565, in the censorship of P. Licinius Crassus and L. Julius Caesar, forbidding anyone to sell exotics, for by that name unguents were then called. But, in the name of Hercules, at the present day there are some persons who even go so far as to put them in their drink, and the bitterness produced thereby is prized to a high degree, in order that by their lavishness on their odours they may thus gratify the senses of two parts of the body at the same moment. It is a well-known historical fact that L. Plotius, the brother of L. Plancus, who was twice consul and censor, after being prescribed by the triumvirs, was betrayed in his place of concealment at Salernum by the smell of his unguents, a disgrace which more than outweighed all the guilt attending his prescription. For who is there that can be of opinion that such men as this do not richly deserve to come to a violent end? End of section 14. Recording by John Ingram.